For total realism, instruct any player who had to use this rule that he cannot go out for pizza with the rest of the group, but must go home and read twenty pages of a dictionary, starting with a randomly determined letter. That should simulate the time spent recouping in the hospital rather nicely. Hello, and welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we beat a dead horse 1d6 damage at a time. This week, John and I boldly go where no man has gamed before. Or at least where they shouldn't. I'm not going to sugarcoat things. Today we review Prime Directive, the Starfleet Universe role-playing game. And it's a huge, steaming turd. Okay, so uh, so how do you feel about this game, John? This, um, I kind of, I'm kind of offended that it exists, honestly. <laughs> This game is um this game is real bad. This is okay. Okay, let's let's start with the history instead of just saying how bad it is. That's not good listening. This is the Starfleet Universe role-playing game. It came out in 1993 under the Task Force Games banner. And I I, I should let you know that this game, despite being awful and despite being an awful universe it's set in and just being stupid, also came out as a GURPS game and as a D20 game. Now, when we when we say that this is an awful game, and that the setting and universe for this game is awful, you need to understand, it is the Starfleet universe. Going through this game, you will literally never see it say Star Trek. Nope, no Kirk, no Nimoy. No, Enterprise, although the Enterprise does show up in a list of ships at one point. But it, it can't be a game about the Enterprise, because that's not the license they have. Yeah, it it is based off of the Starfleet universe, which is its own thing. It's sort of an odd fanfic spin-off of Star Trek. This universe came into existence during a doldrum period for Star Trek. Uh, it was while they were still planning to bring into existence what they were calling Star Trek Phase 2, which there were a couple of pilot scripts written for and so on, eventually became one of the movies and uh, the animated series, a few other things. This book came out, however, in 1993. And by 1993, they were on Season 7 of The Next Generation, they were on Season 1 of Deep Space Nine, and every movie featuring the original cast of Star Trek had already come and gone. This, however, has no bearing on the setting. Nothing. Nothing at all, except for a couple of snide remarks about how their Klingons don't have stupid head ridges. Yeah, this... this game. This... this fucking game. Okay, alright, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through the description of what Starfleet Universe is, and I'm not just gonna stop and say that the game is stupid. But it is. Okay, so, in the late 70s, they purchased some company, probably Task Force Games purchased the license to what they call the Starfleet Universe. They did so so they could make a couple of board games and a tactical war game, uh, game like a 40, Warhammer 40k or something like that, called Starfleet Battles. Now you have to understand, at this point in the Star Trek uh, universe, it had, it had just gone off the air, and Star Trek didn't really, when it first ran, have this huge fan base that it has now. I mean, they didn't even really have a good closing episode. It was just a standard episode, and then they were done. Oh, yeah. And uh, this 
universe was purchased. Now, the game, as we mentioned before, came out in 93, but the universe that this game is set in was purchased and began after Star Trek went off the air. TOS, the original series, went off the air. So this universe was purchased at a point before the first movie had come out. Uh, the animated series was in existence, and that was about it. So this is set with some of the elements from the animated series and the original series as well, the original show. So that's all that they have. Now, as Star Trek as a license has expanded and incorporated more films, uh, The Next Generation, your Deep Space Nine, your Enterprise, all this other crap, this game has stayed the same. And they've branched off into different universes. This game, when I first picked it up and flipped through it, I felt like a big Star Trek virgin idiot. Now, normally I consider myself a moderate Trekkie. I don't memorize the show titles, but I know a lot about the episodes, I know all the characters from them, and so on. So when I flipped this book open and I saw Rigelians and Signans and so on, I was like, what the hell is this? This There's so many races, how come I don't recognize these? It's because, after they purchased the license, they just started making stuff up. They're their own universe. Yeah, this, this is basically someone took the Star Trek license and went, okay, well, I like that, but here's what I'd do. And then just went full fanfic, Mary Sue, I decided I know what's best for this, and is almost angry, it seems, at the expanded information that has come out for it. They have their own alliances between people, they made up races, they made up different ways for people to interact that had nothing to do with uh, the original series, which is where uh, your main party actually is a prime team, which is basically, I guess, Starfleet versions of Navy SEALs? Yeah, yeah, little teams of four people who all have a special skill. When I first read through this book, I thought that they were really trying to make Aliens the Star Trek game, because it's like you're playing as a little team where you've got a heavy weapons guy and a melee fighter guy and a leader. It's 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 very unusual. Now, a second ago I mentioned Rigelians and Signans. When you create characters in this universe, you ha you choose your Federation races, and I'm going to list off the Federation races as best as I can from memory now. Humans, Vulcans, and Andorians. We remember those because they were in various series. After that, Signans, Alpha Centaurians, Rigelians, and I want to say Andromedans. Now, if those all sound like just the names of stars you've heard of, that's because they are. Uh, they didn't go all fanciful with their with their race creation until they got into their Klingon Empire. The uh, the human races are just nearby stars. Now, if you're a real obsessive Star Trek nerd, you'll probably think Rigelians. I think they got introduced as generic, boring green guys in Deep Space Nine. And I think Signans were a race that was supposed to be in the first Star Trek movie, but ended up not being. And you'd be right. But they would not have looked like the weird things in this game. Yeah, and the races are also very... I mean, they're just humans. No, it's, it's very original Trek in that every alien race is just a human in some other extreme fashion, so... And it's not even like... It, you know, it's, it's even more original series. Because by humans in some extreme fashion, I don't mean they have forehead ridges. Or, you know, a little spoon on their face or whatever. They've got nothing. Alpha Centaurians are just more women than men. Oh, it's just Amazons. Yeah, they're just Amazons of space. Yeah. Signans just have dark eyes. Oh, and they're, they're undisciplined. 
And Rigelians are literally just Maori, except their face tattoos glow. Yeah, it. you're playing just big dudes with tattoos all over you. That's, which which that's glow. It. Also, just so we uh, get this out there, I'm going to post a picture of it in the, in, the, uh, in the website, but the cover of this book... Oh my god, the art in this book, but specifically the cover. It's it's Tech War versus the Toltec Lizard Angel. There There is a prime team biker gang in all red leather jackets with weird phaser pistols, not like the phasers you normally see, but like guns shooting at a lizard bird angel bug winged... Toltec spear wielding weirdo. It's very unusual to look at this insane picture and then think to yourself, "Yeah, Prime Directive." Yeah, th- this reminds me of Star Trek in any way. Yeah, uh, or for example, the name of the book, which re- refers and uh, let's make myself sound like a huge nerd here. The, the Prime Directive is don't fuck with non warp civilization. Let's just leave them alone and let them develop warp in their own time. And it even has in the book writes out. This is what the Prime Directive is, and this is what you need to be, you know, upholding. And the book is, we are shooting pre-tech flying lizard men with our laser beams. Yeah, and they're going to try and kill us with their rainbow spears. So, the cover is insane. The book is insane. I think I'm insane for having read it. The universe is totally insane. So, just to get, just to boil it down to a sentence, at one point, Starfleet Battles became a game that split off from Star Trek... It then branched and grew on its own, independent of the Star Trek universe. So this is not a Star Trek game. It's a Starfleet game. Okay. So, character creation. There was a lot of layers. If I'm going to be generous in describing it, it is a very layered system. It's pithy. It's very pithy. There's ten stats. And they include things like discipline. I'll, I'll give it this. Uh, outside being a human... Or a little bit for the Alpha Centaurans, uh, you just have stats. Mm-hmm. When you be, you decide, like, I'm gonna be a Vulcan, it gives you a stat spread, that is your stat spread, you don't, there's no point by, there's no rolling, it's just, these are your numbers, you can spend your character creation points later on to raise up different stats, but straight out of the gate, these are your numbers, go. Yeah. This book, feels like it was written by, and I don't know if we've mentioned this term in the podcast before, but it feels like a outgrowth and full product created by Grognards. The French word for grumbler, it describes the type of nerd who is obsessed with the way things work. So, your Vulcan in this game is better goddamn be a Vulcan if he's going to be anything. So, he gets a 1 in his intuition score, and it costs him double to raise his intuition, because he started with a 1, and they're meant to be unintuitive. It also costs him twice as much to purchase any skill that uses intuition as a skill. So your Spock has to be Spocky, although he's not allowed to be Spock. Yeah, and you uh, you start with a six in your logic because, by God, you will be logical. Mm-hmm. So, and again, let's just stick to that concept. This book feels like it was written by Gronyards, or Grogs, you can call them for short. This it could, The reason it feels that way is because it's got a bunch of dumb rules and a bunch of unnecessarily strict rules. So... You build your character with ten stats. They're basically just a spread. Then you get your I-CIP, which I think stands for Initial Character Improvement Points, I want to say. Maybe? it's Yeah, it's I-CIP, and then you get a bunch of those, and you spend them on improving your stats, 
my, my personal favorite of the new stats, which is buying the range that you were available to shoot at. <laughs> now, now, uh, before you really get into that, though, let me also say, you have a, a very odd class system in mm-hmm. this. Uh, and you have a lot of choices to make for things. So, the first choice you're going to have to make is, is your character a marine? Or, or a are they naval? Yeah. Now, this means fuck all. The only thing that being naval or marine means is, am I going to call you a general or an admiral? Right. And then you do get to randomly roll your rank or choose your rank. But there's a very specific window of ranks that a prime team is made up of. It doesn't, don't, don't think that stops the book from listing every rank ever in it as well. And then clearly demarcating the ones you're allowed to touch. Now, uh, after you choose, uh, naval or marine, you're then going to pick from the different sort of types of character you can be. You Careers. Can be, you can be a command, you can be medic. Yeah, uh, science. Heavy weapons, engineering, yeah. uh, and then the, the melee fighter guy. And these give you a starting skill package, and then they also, let me just go ahead and say they are very confusing, because, for example, there's a heavy weapons marine and a heavy weapons navy, and they have slight differences of skills that they get at the outset. And it's hard to even tell which parts of this page is what. And, okay, after you've picked Naval or Marine, and after you've picked, are you, you know, a heavy weapons guy or a command guy? Okay, now we're going to move on. Now, subset of command or heavy weapons, let's just go command. All right, I pick command. Now you have to choose what type of command you are. Are you a bridge commander? Are you a field commander? Ugh, and so on and so on. Now, again... Uh, all of these are just, they're just bonuses. Yeah, so you pick command, packages. it gives you plus one to leadership. Yeah. Just right off the bat. However, the weird thing for this is every one of these uh, character types requires at least a six in, a in, in, the, stat. in that stat. Yeah. So you have to, when character creation is over, if you picked command, have to have a leadership of six or higher. But it doesn't, but because you spend points afterwards, you could have a guy that has a, a leadership of three, gets command, and then you have to make sure you remember by the time your character is done to lift it up to six. Right, which you're going to be doing the, using those ICIPs for later on. You have to use those to buy your stat up to six, or play as a race that has a six on the relevant stat. It's um, it, it, it's annoying. And, and you know what? I'm not even sure if it would be less annoying. I know we're making this sound awful, like, oh no, not a commander slash bridge commander, but... That, and to me, I feel like when I say that, I think of, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. Like, I'm a fighter, but I'm a great weapon fighter. Because that kind of, you know, it's that same sort of drilling down. That specialization. Yeah, the difference is that this is a steaming pile of shit. That's, that's the core. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, main, the main issue I have is, as we've sort of been hinting at, there are a lot of options. Mm. I mean, a lot. And... Each time you drill down farther into it, you think, okay, I I picked fighter, I'll be a great weapon fighter. And then at that point, you just sort of have some skills. But this keeps going. Like You mentioned rank. Also, one of the worst things in this is everyone has to have a clear rank order in your party. Yeah, you have to report to a guy above you in the party. Yeah, so whoever got to command first and decided, I'm going to be the command role. Well, congratulations. Not only did you get this certain skill package, but you're now in charge of the group. 
you just by default are the ranking officer. Mm -hmm. And not only is this horrible for RP, as far as, okay, we want to do this, but Jim, the ranking officer, says, no, I'm the ranking officer and we'll do what I say, but it also means he gets more skill points. Mm -hmm. The higher your rank is, the more points you get. Which means if you decide, I'm, I want to be heavy, heavy weapons guy. That sounds awesome. I'm going to have like a giant laser cannon. I'm going to be a badass. Well, yes, but you started a really low rank. So how about fuck you? Yep. Yeah, absolutely true. So once you've got your character built, you've got a rank, you have two kinds of reputation. <laughs> there's heroic reputation, which describes your penchant for daring do. And there's your professional reputation, which is sort of your capacity for rank advancement, the degree to which you are considered to be competent at your job. Each one of these is informed by the rank your character has, the class your character has, and the race your character has. And you can use them to buy your way out of dangerous situations and so on. You can spend reputation points to kind of pull rank on people or to get out of sticky situations by being someone that an enemy has heard of. Okay, so just... We haven't even gotten more than 20 pages into this book at this point. That's okay. And... The, in addition to being just horrible right from the out, outset, it has a layout of so many tables and lists. And now I, I understand in, in the Heroes Unlimited podcast, you might, you may have heard us go on about how we love random tables. These I mean, random. just love them. But these, these are just tables. It's just, List Just dense information being delivered ad nauseum. Okay, skills. Like we said earlier, skill packages are primarily informed by your choice of class. You get a set of skills and things like weapon fire, heavy weapons. Uh, you can purchase range. Like I mentioned earlier, your character starts with the ability to shoot at short range. It costs you a ton of your initial character points to be able to shoot at medium range, and it is almost impossible to start out as a sniper. Uh, but but that is one of the options. If you have phasers, you have to purchase the ability to shoot farther than most people. Now, the problem with that is you cannot raise this ever again mm -hmm. outside of character creation. If you decide, okay, you know what? Uh, I'm I'm okay. I'm pretty good with the phaser. I can I can hit a guy at a decent ways away from me. You know, I mean they're not right next to me. That's fine. No, that that's great. I'm sure if I put in the time, I can get better at that. No. No. No, you can't. <sighs> if you aren't born a sniper, then by God, you will never learn how to be one. Right. Okay, you get a bunch of these skills. They give you some secondary skills as well. You have to choose a set of skills that your character has as personal interests that are not allowed to be things that would be useful. They, they stress heavily. These don't use... The, if you're a heavy weapons guy... Don't take a minor interest in pistols, because that wouldn't make any sense. No guy who's interested in big guns would also be interested in small guns. Take fly fishing instead. No, this this at least has some basis in the show. You always have shit like, you know, Data's writing poetry for his cat. That's true. Or, it's you true, know, yeah. Worf is interested in Klingon opera. Whatever it happens to be, some non-plot, non-combat-related thing that, like, I like to paint, or I'm interested in 20th century sure. naval tradition. Yeah, it's always 20th century. Oh, my 
fucking god. Okay, this book does not disabuse the one dumb thing I always hated the most about Star Trek, which is that apparently there's a 200-year gap in culture development between the show and the and the real world, such that everyone is obsessed with, like, Babe Ruth and Marilyn Monroe and not their 21st and 22nd century equivalents. Yeah. So same thing in this game. Your character is a whitewater rafter or a casting fly fisherman instead of, you know, enjoying zero-g ball or whatever the hell gets introduced next 50 years from now. It makes sense as a television convention because you can't have your character being obsessed with something that no one's ever heard of. But this game would have been the perfect opportunity for them to say, oh, my character particularly enjoys purple carrot farming or whatever fuck sci-fi thing you want. <laughs> and they didn't, they didn't take that chance. Now, in the skills, not only do you have uh, this selection of skills that do nothing outside of just it's essentially RP, but you are forced to take skill points in it, so you might fail at your RP interest. But we also have the interesting thing where this game has over 80 different skills, and this does not include skills that can be of different things in the same skill, like, say, driving a car is different than having skill in driving a boat or driving a plane. So you could have... Somewhere between probably up to a hundred, I would say, skills that you could see in this game. Yeah, and that's what that you could see in this book. That doesn't even describe one. That, remember, we were talking a second ago about secondary skills, like fly fishing is is listed as the example in the book. It's not in the book. The reason that fly fishing is in there is because when you're creating your secondary skills, you're supposed to make them up. So to say, my character really enjoys uh, ice sculpture. And so he uh, has an 8 in ice sculpture, if that happens to come up. And I will point out, by the way, that Sulu was a fencer. <laughs> so there's at least one example of a character learning a combat skill as a hobby. But anyway, going back to the point, once you've got your skills, you get a uh, a, a value in them. The value usually, you know, like a 4 to, to a 7 or so. This informs the number of dice you roll. It's all D6s. You roll D6s for how many dice you have in your skill in an attempt to accomplish a task. Now, this this is at least one of the only non-awful things in this game. You actually like the tricodes? No, no. Okay, I'm sorry. Let's, Just let's, let's dice. That. Just the, dice. The fact that it's fully D6-based, and you are rolling D6s based on number of D6s on your skill and attribute, okay. No, that... That, that is definitely a game mechanic yeah. that you can have. It's even got exploding sixes. You know, I don't, I don't hate the idea of it immediately. However, yeah, exploding sixes, by the way, if you're not a regular role-playing gamer, exploding sixes means that if you roll a six, you get to keep that six, roll another d6, and add the result of that. Enabling someone who's got a skill of one in something to uh, perhaps succeed at something with a difficulty of seven just by having a miraculously lucky turn. You can easily have a skill of one or two of something in this game, because the way that you determine what your skill rank in something is, is you take the relevant attribute, say, for example, logic slash playing chess as a skill set. You take your logic score of six, because you're a Vulcan, and your playing chess score of four, because you're uh, really, really, really good, good at it. Add those together and average them. Yay. That's how you get your skill value. Which means it takes you at least two rank increases in anything to get one more die out of it, because that's how averages work. And uh, so you have an average score of five. You get to roll five dice on your check. Yeah. And this, the, uh, the Vulcan playing chess that's really good at chess, you might think, okay, well, you know, five dice to try and get something. That's not bad. However, the Vulcan is 
Logic 6 and probably one of the high-end stats that you'll have when you're done making your character will be 7 or 8, maybe. If yeah. that's, like, what you're focusing on. Yeah. You'll have one seven. You'll have a bunch of threes and fours. Average humans have twos. That's the rule for the game. Star- average Starfleet guys have threes. Yeah. No, that's average Starfleet guys. Uh, he, uh, for Sorry, we're podcasting v- visually here. Um, average Starfleet guys have a stat of three. Average humans have a stat of two. It's kind of like Space Marines. Yeah. Uh, that Starfleet guys are just better. It's it's uh, it's always been that way in the Star Trek universe. Or, sorry, the Starfleet universe. The sense that that. If you got into Starfleet, it's because you're great. Or I think it's because they make you great. I've always thought that was kind of a, uh, like a Starship Troopers thing. (laughs) What, that they don't want to live forever? Yeah, service uh, guarantees, citizenship, I don't know, whatever. They shower naked. You get in there and you become, yeah, in co-ed. Everyone showers naked. What are you saying, you don't shower naked? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm a never nude, I'm sorry. Uh How did I not know? I mean, you're not wearing pants right now. You're just saying you always wear a shirt. <laughs> We're goofing off because this game sucks and we don't want to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Tricodes. Oh, okay. All, All right. right, so this is, when I first saw the word, I was like, oh, look at that. It's a Star Trek reference. That's a cute idea. Because, you know, those little magic gizmos that, that Bones and so on were always carrying around that they could use to tell you anything about anything are called tricorders. Because yeah. they record three things. So your, your skills, are a tricode, and you'll have three numbers. The three numbers, the first one has to be above zero. You need at least a one in the first, and every number after that has to be higher than the one before it. So you have to have, you know, one, two, three. It's, it actually always has to be separated by two, so it's one, three, five, two, four, six. Nope. It, no, really? it's okay. only You only need to be higher than, Okay. Uh, but you also can't, so you couldn't have something like one, three, three. You couldn't have uh, two, five, three, anything like that. Right. Because, Which one makes sense. Yeah, because what these represent are how well you succeeded. So you roll on something, and trying to hit the first number means you barely succeed. Hitting the second is you succeed moderately well, and if you hit the last number, you completely succeed. Yeah. Now, to me, these feel like they're kind of too easy most of the time. There's a lot of penalties that can be applied that are going to make them harder. But to give you an example, our, our chess-playing Vulcan has a score of five dice. So you roll five D6 and compare that against your tricode score of your ability to play chess. Let's say that chess uses the same difficulty as combat actions. So, four, six, eight. So you roll five dice where the average result is, what, probably uh, 14 plus 17? And compare it, against, compare it against a four, six, eight. Except you're not adding the dice together. Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> you didn't actually read this book. I read the book. I just... Uh. <laughs> no, no. What you're doing is you're looking to beat whatever those numbers are on one die. Any given singular die. Ah. So, if you have an eight as your complete success, you have to roll a six... And then get at least a two. And then get at least a three. Because oh, on your exploding, you're minus lose. one. Ah. No, this game can eat my dick. Ah, I missed that part. The book is super dense. I tried my best. Now, the other the other problem I have with this is, okay, you might think, okay, there are scales of success. That's always more interesting than just a binary pass-fail. You know, when you have that, I roll for it, and either, no, I can't unlock this door, or yes, I can, having something like, oh, well, you, you unlock it, but it makes noise, or something like that. Well, there's also a full botch example in this. If you get no success at all... 
then something bad happens. Which means there's a chance on every roll ever for something bad to happen. Yeah. If, uh, if you're rolling for something, the book, however, shows that a, you know, the partial success, you got the first number in the tri-code. Congratulations. It is essentially a failure without anything bad happening to you. Yeah. Partial success is, what were you trying to do? Uh, I was trying to bribe a guard. Okay, you got a partial success. The bribe do- doesn't work, he doesn't like you, but he doesn't immediately arrest you. Yeah, he's still talking to you, is basically what you get off that. You basically need a complete success for anything to happen in this game. Yeah, even even the moderate success with that bribe example would still be, he seems like he might be open to it, but still doesn't take the bribe. So every effect in the game is based around tricode attempts. If you want to hit a guy with a gun, you roll against your combat tricode, which is thankfully universal. It's four six eight. Every combat action in the game is four six eight. That means you have a four six eight tricode chance to hit a guy, to dodge that guy trying to hit you, to shoot a guy, to drop a bomb on a guy. It's all four six eight. Yeah. Now there are a ton of modifiers to that. There there are uh I think I think actual Four pages, four full pages of modifier listings to what might change trying to hit a guy. And these, I think, are almost entirely negatives. Oh, yeah, almost entirely. I think there's one for, like, aiming, and then after that it's all just, oh, are you wearing any amount of armor? Uh, Does he have any kind of elevation advantage over you? And just... Pages and pages of stuff like that that make it harder and harder to hit someone. Which, let's be fair, is a good thing, because this game is lethal. It is another one of those games where your hit points are almost non-factored. Yeah, they're bi- you might as well be binary. Did he hit you? You're probably dead or unconscious. Yeah, I mean, if you happened to be... Okay, for this mission, uh, you are going down to some planet... You know that there is going to be combat. You ask your officer, your main bridge commander guy, your DM essentially, can I have heavy armor? For the love of God, I don't want to die. Oh, let's really briefly here. In this game, we always talk about the uh, the DM and what they're what they're called in the game. In this game, it's a briefing officer. The DM is an actual person. You, they actually play an NPC. You you are the literal briefing officer on the ship. Yeah, which means that the DM is reporting to the captain of the ship. That's how unimportant you are. <laughs> you um, you aren't even important enough to be in charge of anything as the DM, let alone a player. That's who you're playing. You're playing the guys who take orders from the guy who takes orders from the guy. That's we. Also, you earn credits. Which come on, is this is this actually Starfleet or not? I mean, I, whatever. Anyway, you were saying you ask your briefing officer for heavy armor. Yes, and so anything that you take with you on any given away mission or prime mission is basically up to your DM whether he wants to be nice to you or not. Uh, your your equipment list isn't even really something you take from session to session. You just requisition things. What am I going to need for this mission? Right, and it's fun because there are actually roles you can use to attempt to sway the DM, the briefing officer. You can try and be like, well, I'm going to roll requisitions, or I'm going to try and pull rank on the on the briefing officer in, in an attempt to either get heavy armor or a special weapon, or to get paid extra. Yeah, there's, and I think this is, bar none, my favorite role that you can do in the game is after you've done a mission, if you fucked up, 
you can roll to try to convince your briefing officer that you didn't fuck up as badly as you did. Right, because he's just a guy. He hasn't been sitting there with you the whole time watching as you try to kill the lizard bird. And it's it's not even, okay, your your DM goes, oh yeah, you guys, you, you kind of messed that mission up. Like, the ambassador was injured when he was supposed to be unharmed. And instead of going, well yeah, but we accomplished this and that and we strengthened relations. You have to say that and then roll your tricode for convincing your DM that you aren't a fuck-up. Yeah, you have to bullshit your way into not just getting fired <laughs> at the end of each mission. It's it's uh, it's it's interesting. It's definitely, it's definitely something I haven't seen yeah. in any other game. Okay, so back to the armor thing. You get Let's say you actually get your DM to let you have some heavy armor, and then you go down to the planet and you encounter a Klingon, and the Klingon's got his Klingon phaser, and he, or whatever, disruptor, and he shoots you. Okay, did he hit? Do you, are you wearing heavy armor? Is it energy heavy armor? Why, why, yes it is. I assume I'm going to be shot by lasers, so I have protection against that. No, disruptors are physical damage. You're just dead. What? Ah, fucking... Oh, no, what? I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Let's check it. Let's check against your life total. Uh, you took seven wounds worth of damage, which means you have a seven penalty on your next tricode. <laughs> Until you get healed by surgery, because you can't just get healed by healing or anything. It's gotta be surgery. And... Uh, I, I sure hope that you like random, stupid, bullshit, busy work, because while you're in the infirmary getting all healed up because some Klingon shot you, you're just going to be sitting around writing your fucking name in a notebook 50,000 times or reading from the dictionary or doing some other goddamned dumb, asinine thing. This book, or this podcast opened with a cold read. Of me saying a thing about how, uh, for maximum effect, you should tell the player to go home and read from a randomly selected letter of the dictionary uh, for 20 pages while you go out for pizza. By the way, Pizza Watch, success. This book does mention DM's pizza. There it is. Um, this has been Pizza Watch with Jeff. <laughs> okay. So that's a new feature we're doing. I love that every role-playing game ever mentions DMs and pizza and interactions with DM pizza, and I, I just want to point them out until we find a book that doesn't. We didn't mention it last week, but just so you know, Tales from the Floating Vagabond does in fact mention Dungeon Master Pizza. Okay, we open with a cold read. That read is for if a character gets knocked unconscious and should have died. They are allowed to expend a number of their character points or whatever to not die. Just to not die. And... It's supposed to be a heroic kind of survival that they they cling to life tenaciously. So your character is a hero. Awesome. That's cool. Character's a I hero. Just a red shirt. Yay. That's amazing. Oh no, you should get punished for that though. That's that's what the book is telling you. <laughs> it tells you to do it by having the DM, a briefing officer, make that your friend who you're playing your role playing game with go home instead of going to a restaurant with the assumption that when he gets home, he will keep following your orders, open a dictionary to, to a, a, a randomly selected letter. Uh, I, I, I guess you roll a d26 and, and, and read 20 pages because you told him to. I, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> okay. Okay. This game is awful. Now, combat, in addition to being straightforward as far as the tricode, that 468. Mm. Okay. No, that, that seems great. At least when you've got a clusterfuck of skills and other things. As long as your combat is fairly straightforward, 
hey, you know, you can work with that. Even with the penalties, at least it's always working off the same numbers. Now, trying to hit someone also means they are trying to dodge mm -hmm. or parry or what have you, which means they have a tricode. Now, they're going to get successes on their tricode. They're going to compare their successes on that, which will <laughs> either drop yours from complete to a partial or a, or a failure, or maybe they botched their dodge and it bumps what you hit them with up to another tricode, and your tricode damage is based on how well you hit on your hit tricode, and I hate the word tricode. Can I... Can I stop saying tricode, pal? Yeah, it's okay. Stop saying tricode. Look, this game, I, I wouldn't recommend it to my worst enemy. <laughs> okay, I, I really want to drill down. We're hitting around the 40-minute mark here. I really want to drill down and talk about that whole thing where you, your, your briefing officer sends you home to do homework. <laughs> I, I want to talk about that because I've seen that in a couple of role-playing games. It's not common, and it's getting less common. It's amazing that I found this in a game from 1993. Normally, this is the sort of thing you found in the 80s and so on, back when people still thought that the games actually had the power to cast real spells. Well, it's also one of those things back where it was very much the adversarial DM who yeah. is uh, considered to be the god of this game, and he is trying his damnedest to wreck your fun. This was a thing in the 80s, back when the DM was still like, okay, I, I want to be the DM. I really do, so I can peer at you from over my little board thing and roll dice and, and, and not let you see the results and say things like, like, the darkness looms. Oh, wait, hang on, let me roll for that. It looms menacingly. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what it is. It's this concept that the DM, I mean, nowadays the DM is basically the person who says, I don't want to be the DM last. Yeah. It, the, the, well, the, the DM is that or either someone who's like, I have a really cool story idea. Yeah. And that's good. That's the good way to become a DM. That's what you want to do have a DM. Do you have a fun story to tell? That's great. Do you do you hunger for player blood? <laughs> then you should probably play some 80s game. Or this one, which somehow survived. This game basically encourages the DM to fuck with you. And this is something we used to see a lot of in old role-playing games, and it's the worst thing, because it makes the players hate the DM, it makes the DM hate the players, it turns the game into a, 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 an elaborate game of Mother May I... For no goddamned good reason. No, it, it turns into, I mean, at best, Mother May I, and at worst, just a prick-waving fight of who's got the better way of controlling what your PCs do. So, let's talk about DM as God a little bit, because that's what this book is saying. I mean, this game goes further than any game I've ever seen. The fact that you can send your player home with homework and go out for pizza, and presumably it's 1993, so you can't text him, but maybe you'll stop by a payphone and give him a call and say, Mmm, pizza! How's, uh, how's the letter Q treating you there, noob? Hey, your character died. You can't have pizza. <laughs> and it's, it's really amusing to me as well, because for a game that has probably the strongest uh, inclination to have that DM as absolute authority and god... It is also the one that makes the DM not even the most important person on your ship. Seriously, can you name the briefing officer from any Enterprise? No. No, because he's some fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> he probably gets sucked out of the ship when the hull gets breached. You never hear about him. And yet here he is as the DM. Anyway, this goes back to a D&D &D thing as well. The DM as God is what pops up when you have spells like Speak with Dead and Wish. It... it 
describes when, when the DM says, all right, instead of playing a game where we're playing adventurers, now we're playing a game where we're playing with syntax law. Or it's like, okay, I, I would like to ask the zombie if he knows a way to the, to the entrance to the next dungeon level. He smugly says yes. Uh, it's things like that. The, the whole like, uh, like prophecy spells, anything like that where you're like, okay, this is going to give me some advantage. I get, I get to ask a question or I get to have an effect happen, but I have to describe it. Oh, well, this just means that the DM is encouraged to be a dick to you. Wish is the ultimate example of this. It's the original template of how to be a dick to your players. You, you wish, even if you try and keep it net relatively simple and not even go overboard with what the wish is actually I, supposed I, to do. I just do. want a thousand gold? Oh, okay, well, you become a thousand years old and made of gold. Ugh. I wish for a building. A man named Bill Ding appears. Hate everyone. <laughs> And it turned, you know, I, I had a friend, uh, we actually have a mutual friend, our, our buddy, our buddy Chuck, loved this sort of thing. He loved the syntax of, of Dungeons and Dragons, wish spells and so on. And I remember him bragging to me that, that he used to, before using his Ring of Wishes, present his, uh, his DM with what basically boiled down to contract law. He'd give him a 20 page document that would say, I wish for the following effects to occur. And when I say the following effects, I want to make sure that you know that I don't mean these effects. I don't these effects. I want the following thing to happen. If I you don't... look at subsection B slash 3, you will see that when I wished for this, it clearly states, yeah, just horrible legal ease bullshit. And, you know, the funny thing was, he was telling me this with an absolute point of pride. And it, I like Chuck. Let's be clear. I don't, I don't think he listens to these, but, but I like Chuck. He's a great guy. He's right to enjoy it because the books recommended that you enjoy it, but that shit sucks. Well, it essentially, it's still the adversarial DM thing. It's just now you're being adversarial and that you're like, did you want to try and fuck with me? We'll read 20 pages of bullshit. And that's what you had to do in order to get the simplest of effects off. What did you want? A plus five longsword? <laughs> okay, well, if you wish for that, you had better make it so that it is more of a pain in the ass to your DM to read through something than it is to just give you a goddamn longsword. I give you a longsword that's five inches longer than most. Ugh. <laughs> no, it's just awful. Yeah, it's it's the worst. So that's the whole concept of the DM as God, which this game really wants you to do. This game is old school. The The game is just... All of its functions, all of its ideas about how you play about what type of play is good. It's it's so archaic in what it presents that it... Like, for something that came out in the 90s, I just... I can't even understand how this existed. I, I You know, I should have done some additional research before we got into this to determine what the state of the regular gaming universe was like in 1993. Uh, I, I feel like we were at the tail end of 2nd edition for 1993... Uh, my understanding is that 3rd edition dropped around 1995, 1996 in that area. So we were probably talking 2nd edition Dungeons and Dragons, like Skills and Powers book, the Book of Nine Swords, all that stuff that was basically introducing player options, giving people more abilities to do things. Uh, 1993 would have also been when Rifts was hitting. It came out a little bit before that, but that's what that would have been around the point where it was... 1993, excuse me. Yeah. Would have been about the point where it was dropping. So Now, now let me just say... If you have a game where your system is worse than Palladium, 
you have a serious problem. We were joking about this before we recorded the podcast, and one of my favorite thoughts was that this book encourages you to send your players home to read a randomly selected letter of the dictionary. I was saying, well, at least it's not Palladium, because in Palladium it would have given you the table. (laughs) Yeah, it would have been, read a random letter from the alphabet, here is your random alphabet table. Yeah, this didn't do that. It assumes you'll just pick the cruelest letter. (laughs) Okay, so after you get past character creation and how skills and combat work, it gets into telling you a little bit more about the Starfleet universe. And it's stupid. So, okay, let's assume... Hey, podcast, let's assume that you're allowed to create the the uh, the Star Trek universe however you want to. Uh, is your first inclination to add two more lizard races and two more cat races to bring the totals to three each? Because <laughs> this book does. Uh, yeah, you know, I wasn't really completely fulfilled with only having the Gorn, so I had better add in several more lizard dudes that are just... The Gorn in a varying shade. And I I love that they went through all of what the animated series had to offer. Like, everything that was in the animated series. That cool three-armed dude that was working as a ship's ensign on the Enterprise. All that stuff that was written by uh, by sci-fi authors that came on board to to write, like, one story that were really neat. And what did they pick to put into their game from the animated universe? Cat people. And, And then they were like, well, we've got cat people... But what we really need are also Lynx people and, like, Jaguar people. And we need at least two of those races to be hanging out together in, oh. a, in a universe that they call the WYN Confederacy. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. So, out of this book, you've got... I went through at one point, and I looked up which races are actually from Star Trek and which races are not. Now, there are about seven or eight races in the game that are legitimately from Star Trek. Romulans, Vulcans, Andorians, humans... Tholians. Tholians were in one episode. Sorry, what? Klingons. Klingons, of course. Uh, Kazinti, which is the cat people race from the, the animated series. Although, I don't know if we want to say animated series is canon. Uh, uh, you know what? That's actually something that, that the Star Trek universe treats as canon. It's like the actual Star Trek. not As opposed to Starfleet universe, Star Trek considers the, the animated series to be a canon thing. The Kazinti are a real part of Star Trek. They're like cat people. So, fine. Great. Welcome aboard. So that gives you seven. Now you go ahead and let's start adding other races from other things. In addition to all the human ones, which are just nearby stars populated by white or near-white people in varying degrees of gender, you also get, uh, let's see, Zulis, which are, which are people with a spare set of eyes above their head that can see in the dark. Dunkar, which look like, uh, kind of like a combination of an otter and a walrus, but still human, by the way. I, the funniest thing to me about this book is that they could go crazy. You know, Rifts goes crazy. With your Palladium races, you go crazy. You go, oh, this guy's got four legs. This guy's a psychic worm. It, you don't do the, this guy's got some weird face. This book does that. This book gives everyone a weird face. <laughs> Which, again, is in the spirit of Trek. Sure. But then they go outside of the spirit of Trek for a couple of races. They have, in addition to the Gorn, which we remember from from Star Trek as being a guy in a bad lizard mask, You they add two more lizard races, which are dragony. They are more like dragons. They have long tongues. They have the cre- the frilly head ridges. They're basically dragons, because Lord knows if you're adding more cat people, you got to add more dragon people to it. This book seems to have presaged Tumblr by a decade or so. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. They just were way ahead of the times on adding in support for furries and other kin. Yeah, that's that's really what you're seeing here. They add a race called the Seltorian, which are bugs. Oh, boy. Yeah, so you got bugs, and then they get the Hyden, 
the Hyden are animate fire hydrants, kind of. They're like little stumpy dudes. They look a lot like the aliens from Toy Story. Little green three-eyed dudes. Well, they're, they're the ones that are trinary. Yeah, they're trinary. And they're trinary in every way. Like, you know, like three arms, three legs, three eyes, three, three sexes. Three genders. When they have kids, they're always triplets. Yeah. Uh, it, it, which is funny, because it's like, oh, oh, imagine a whole planet of threes. You know, I, I understand that. It's kind of a Star Warsy thing. You know how Star Wars always says, like, whole ice planet, whole desert planet, whole forest planet. Um, this is a whole pl- a whole race of threes. Be like if humans were like, well, how do you describe a human? Well, I got two arms, two legs, two eyes, two teeth. They always have twins. They get two brains. Yeah. Most of them have two jobs. <laughs> Not in this economy. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. Thanks, Tubama. <laughs> oh, President Tubama. <laughs> so, that's what the Hydens are. Let's start bringing this around. This might not make it to a full hour, but you know what? Fuck this game. If I could just say, John, what are your favorite and least favorite aspects? Oh my god. The Prime Directive. The fact that I even have to list something as favorite makes me feel dirty. (laughs) Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say stat spread. The, the initial character creation, before you get into every single table of dumb bullshit, the pick a race, your race has these stats, and if you're a human, you have these stats and a couple bonuses. You get three extra plus ones. Yeah, so you're, you know, straight threes, and then three of your stats are fours. So, that's fine. But the, the initial stat spread, I like because, again, um... Having something that is point by, you can easily game to try and be like, all right, I want to make sure I've got these specific things and just uh, stat dump the other ones. And you also have the ability to, uh, on you know, like rolling for stats is just the worst idea because you just have random bullshit. So being brought back in Dungeons and Dragons next, by the way. Woo! <laughs> Remember, stupid bullshit. Brought to you by D&D Next. We'll do a whole podcast on D&D Next sometime. I'm a little drunk right now, but I'm confirming that that is going to happen. Anyway, so the the stat spread and then the static bonus from your initial selection of uh, your service division. Okay, that's that is, from the very start, a decent beginning to a role-playing game. Let me go ahead and roll through the ten initial characteristics. Just just say them out loud so we can see them. Because everyone's used to the ones from, like, Dungeons & Dragons, for example. You've got your ten, your, your six stats in Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, I think Exalted has nine. I think Palladium has nine. This game has ten. One more than Palladium. <laughs> so here they are. Strength. Accuracy. Speed. Leadership. Logic. Intuition. Discipline. Technical, general knowledge, and perception. Yeah, I, I mean, you could really probably lose at least two stats off of that and be fine. But even then, even then, I'm willing to say because it's not uh, an initial point buy, and because they'll just give you a fairly even stat spread, I don't feel too bad about having a lot of stats because you will essentially normalize. Sure. And I want to point out, by the way, that discipline is one of your stats, your ability to follow orders, 
to not react negatively to being disciplined, uh, basically to be a good soldier. And one of the races, the Signans, who are brilliant technicians, get a starting one in uh, their discipline stat, and it's difficult for them to raise it, and yet they are often serve on prime teams, which are supposed to be the best of the best of the best, cream of the crop, ultramarine-type dudes. Can I, can I just interrupt one quick note? Of course, note. I was done anyway. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Um, the other thing that is interesting to me is these prime teams have biker gang names. Oh, yeah. They did Black Eagles. Yeah. You, you're like, what are you? We're the, we're the Black Eagles. We're the White Lightning. We're the Red Scorpions. I'm oh, like, yeah. what, what are you, a fucking team on Legends of the Hidden Temple? Get the fuck out of here. It's always a color. Every one of them is some color. Like, they're all wearing the same shirt, and they probably have a tattoo that they have to hold their, all their elbows together so you can see the whole tattoo. That's <sighs> that's who these guys are. Oh, yeah, no. This takes the the sort of very almost stodgy Star Trek away team where it's like, okay, we're here to do some good. We're going to be doing a thorough job of checking out the landscape, helping people if we can, whatnot, and instead replaces it with, like, Fucking Hell's Angels the as your team. gangs, yeah. And you know what? If I can interrupt your interruption, the reason why you play as a prime team and not as, like, the actual people on a starship you would give a shit about is because the book makes it a big point to point out that it's stupid that Riker was always going on away teams and shit. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, no, he's too important. He shouldn't be going on away teams. It should be the grunts of the, uh, or the, uh, the specialists of the ship. Whenever, whenever uh, Kirk beamed down to a planet, that was bad discipline. No, this, this game... Super, super duper spurgy on just this is how things should be, and by God, they will be this in game, my game. This game hates its source material. <laughs> uh, it's like if you had a Conan role playing game called Conan the Role Playing Game. Conan is really gay. <laughs> so, uh, what what would you say is your favorite thing you in didn't this say, game? You didn't say your least favorite yet. But we'll that's because both of our least favorite things is this goddamned fucking game. Alright, that's absolutely reasonable. Okay, uh, I already said my favorite thing about this game. At some point, they looked at the brink of the horror they were developing, and they pulled back. And that point is when they were descri- designing combat. They said... Okay, every single thing in this game has a tricode of a 135 or a 257 or a 139 or some bullshit. And they were like, you know what? For combat, it's always a 468. It's always a 468. You know exactly what your moderate, medium, and good successes actually are. It's easy to remember, and I'm going to give it that. It gave it the one time they were like, you know what? We probably don't need a random weird number for every single roll you ever make. Okay. Now, my least favorite thing is that they immediately broke that by having four pages of damage modifiers. Yeah. Okay, so, last part of the podcast, same as always, John, would you play this game? If someone came up to me and said, Hey, John, I want you to play in my Prime Directive game, I would probably slap that person as hard as I possibly could and ask what the fuck was wrong with them. I have in my hands what fell out of the game when I purchased it. I bought this game for $10 at a local uh, nerd store. And uh, I say nerd store is a badge of pride and love, by the way. I love my nerd store. So, this is the Prime Directive campaign guidelines. Whoever purchased this game in 1993 with intent to play it printed these out, presumably on a typewriter, because of the type of paper this is. This is some onion skin. 
And uh, I just want to quickly read through a couple of the high notes on this to give you an idea of the type of person who would play this game. All right. Under Section 3, Subsection B, this Section 3 would have been Game System. So Subsection B, character creation will be very similar to Prime Directive, with a few modifications to make it more of a Star Trek-flavored effect. Use the Prime Directive creation system. Sorry, I'm going to go ahead and pronounce his misspellings. But leave the skills section blank until the GM can work with you to determine the appropriate skills, background, and rank. Okay, right off the bat, this game should be played by someone who does not trust their players under any circumstances. Okay, section four, source material. Only material from the actual TV shows, not TNG. I guess this guy liked the first season of DS9 a real a whole lot. Because um, <laughs> that's what would have been out at the point at that time. Will be considered official. No books, games, except Starfleet battles at my discretion. Or other materials will be grounds for what's real or realistic. This is primarily aimed at Dan. <laughs> God damn it, Dan. Oh, Dan, always wanting to play his shit from Voyager. <laughs> which would come out four years later. Sorry. Uh, so, the person who wrote this is a rank neck-bearded lord. I can't see him. I've never met him. All the connection in the world I have to him is this slice of paper that fell out of his book that I now own against my will. And I can describe to you the quality of his beard. It is covered in the finest of hairs and oils. And if it was rotated 30 degrees forward, it would be a real person beard. As it stands, it is a chin strap. <laughs> I think this game has caused me to lose grip on reality. This game would be played by the sort of person that hates his players, that hates Star Trek, and hates that his mom keeps interrupting him when he's trying to watch anime. And above all fucking else, he cannot tolerate Dan. Fuck that guy. <laughs> I wouldn't play this game under any circumstances, but I would play whatever Dan is currently playing. That is my answer. <laughs> now... You may join us next week when we review, actually two weeks from now, when we review whatever we're doing next. If we have a variety of options open to us, I think we may either be taking a crack at the D20 version of EverQuest, or, yeah, that's right, EverQuest, or we may be breaking into Horrortoberfest and reviewing a couple of role-playing horror games. We have a couple of good options. There's some things floating around in the ether. I'm particularly partial to Beyond the Supernatural. And I think John wants to take a crack at... Uh, Orpheus. Orpheus. The White Wolf standalone game that only had five books ever, which, if you know anything about White Wolf, is real fucking weird. We haven't dived into White Wolf yet. We've talked about it a little bit. I think that's probably because almost everything in White Wolf is still in print. Or it's impossible to find. I, I haven't priced Promethean recently, but I bet you it's cost a fuck ton. <laughs> So uh, tune in two weeks from now and check us out. As always, you can find us at our website, SystemMasteryPodcast.com, at the System Mastery page on Facebook, System Mastery on Twitter, or SystemMastery at gmail.com to uh, send us your love letters, uh, hate mail, or prospective campaigns for Prime Directive that you would like us to play in. Dan. Dan. Find us, Dan. You're our friend. I'm so sorry, Dan. <laughs> I hope you found a better place. <laughs> like death. I recommend the death. <laughs> Thank you, and good night.